spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 175th annual Subnumber Session podcast. The Weekly Dose of Conspiracy Theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. Can I can I tell you about my night last night? It was quite interesting. Oh, yeah, sure. So, you know, it's probably 11 or so. I was watching. <laughs> I just decided to fire up my Dragon Ball Z Blu-rays and watch a little of that for some reason. I just had an itch for it. Yep. And I I ended up passing out on the couch, right? I bet I wasn't asleep more than 45 minutes. And all of a sudden, there's this loud fucking bang. And I was just, you know, you just woken up startled, like, what the fuck? And I looked, and the cat had somehow <laughs> managed, <laughs> had, had managed to knock. Because I had the chair, I put the chairs on my table because she likes to scratch them. And somehow yep. she must have been fucking around on top of the chairs, knocked them both to the ground, scared the shit out of me, took a minute for me to fall back asleep again. But I just knew that started the night off on a bad foot. I can't believe it only took you a few minutes to fall back asleep. I don't know if I would have slept for the entire week. Yeah, I, I imagined like when you were telling that story, I thought that she had like taken down the TV. I thought oh, that's what it no. was. Uh, thankfully, that's mounted to the wall, so she'd have a really hard time doing okay. that. I would never doubt a cat, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, I think she'd have a hard time doing it. Yeah, definitely. That's a the cat no longer comes inside situation. You are now an outside cat. <laughs> Though I'm pretty sure your cat, your cats wouldn't survive now, the outside she, world for very long. She's quite a princess. She'd probably <laughs> die pretty quickly. 30 minutes after going outside she weighs like five less pounds and <laughs> on the ground like <laughs> luckily luckily she's pretty enough that someone would probably just take her in their house but um but oh yeah. just swoop her up yeah, yeah yeah they'd be like oh where are you from and then some little kid has a new cat and then she can torment that family Oh, definitely. Yeah. Get the, get the best food, all of the petting. Well, you're, you're talking about the one that's super fluffy, right? Yeah. 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 That one sheds like a motherfucker. Yeah. I, uh, I have to do quite a bit of vacuuming every week or two to keep up with it. Oh, I imagine real quick before we get the episode started, we were talking before the show about Game of Thrones. I know you watch quite a bit of HBO. Have you ever watched the show Avenue five, which actually just came back for its second season? I feel like somebody has recommended it to me. Is it funny? Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty funny. Um, It's got the guy from House on it. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> main character. I don't know what his name is, but he he's like pretending to be an American captain of a space cruise ship. And they keep getting knocked off course and time added to their, you know, their voyage. And it's pretty funny. They got a lot of situations and stuff. I, I don't want to, I don't want to fucking ruin too much. So I think you should watch it. You might okay. like it. Okay. All right. You know, what's funny about the guy from house. 
so where I used to work, they had a lot of retirees to deliver cars or whatever. And they had yeah. one guy. He was a eccentric old man, had a cane, and uh, we always called him House. We didn't know his real name. <laughs> we just <laughs> called him House. He was so delusional. I don't know if he knew if we were even calling him that. Did he even get kind of like the joke behind it or no. just just didn't even realize you were talking about him? Didn't even him? didn't even realize we we're talking about it. Oh, OK. Gotcha. He, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm also Game of Thrones is starting to heat up. So I know we both watched that. We were talking about before the show. It's getting really good. I can't wait for next weekend. Yeah, it's we can't really talk about it too much because there's so many spoiler ass shows. So if you haven't watched it, I would recommend recommend it soon oh definitely yeah well phil should we should we get in this bad boy here should we should we let you take the reins yeah let's hit it so before i start this episode this episode really started when i when i began writing it last week it was going to be kind of like making fun of like these you know these televangelists mega church kind of pastors and some of the you know downfalls that they've had and then i found this one really shining example of just fuckery among these televangelist <laughs> megachurches. So the whole episode is about this. The only thing is it's so long that by the time we get to about halfway, we start to get, you know, after about an hour and a half in, we're going to be really tired and just kind of, you know, glaze through it. That's the best part of the story for this episode. So I cut it in half. So I'll be doing part two next week. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you gotta, you gotta know when to throw in the towel and just uh, come back another day. Some, I, I, I don't really know how our fans feel about super long episodes, but I assume they prefer hour, hour and a half. Yeah, well, I mean, especially after you know we've been talking for about an hour and a half, you can definitely hear it in their voices. I've heard from some of the people I know who listen that once it starts getting into the hour and you know past the hour mark, we start uh, start kind of getting glazed over. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's been a uh, real dreary week here. You know, winter is slowly jamming its finger into our assholes right now. So it's everyone's a little more drained than usual. Oh, tell me about it. It got down to 95 today. So <laughs> since before the dawn of civilization, human beings scared naked and afraid have faced the world and life itself with a sense of fear and trepidation having an unending supply of unanswered questions, dealing with all facets of life and nature, willing to accept answers from anyone with the confidence to give them, almost always using the supernatural to explain nature itself, tamping down the fears of their weak-minded brethren, raking in the perks of their newly found elevated status. The uh, This is what I call here, Phil, the curse of consciousness. You are aware that you are a physical being, but you don't understand why. Oh, especially like back, you know, thousands of years ago when it was all questions and no answers, you know, uh, just come, everything. I mean, it's still pretty much like that, isn't it? No, like modern times, I think we have more answers than we ever have. And we have the easy access to answers. The problem is, can you trust the sources from where the answers are coming from? We kind of run into a new problem now with the with the Internet. Obviously, I'm speaking of television, you know, started it. Internet's really pushed that through. Well, I'll say this. I saw a news report. It was about 
it, it, the new telescope saw like 5,000 light years into space, right? And it was yep. about space dust. And I didn't understand what they were trying to tell me. It was so <laughs> complicated. <laughs> I was like, I get why they have a whole TV show based off these fucking guys because ah, they're too smart for their own good. Yeah. Um, it's good that you're trying to learn about all that stuff. And I, I've tried to learn about it in the past and I think I have kind of a little bit of a hold on it. You know, it maybe also, you know, keep sticking to the Korean horror porns yeah. that you like, but yeah. look, <laughs> yeah, it can, it can get kind of, get kind of weird when you look into space and all that stuff. I love, I love outer space. I love all of that. It's just, it's a very complicated thing that I think only a few select people on the whole world actually understand or at least oh, yeah. can make theories about understanding it. There's only like a very select few that actually understand it, but there's a shit ton of people who are willing to give you their fucking explanations and theories. Yeah. So. Yeah. Fast forward a few millennia and these men and women most often reading from the scripts of the hucksters and charlatans that preceded them. The modern-day shamans and godspeakers had evolved their craft to preach not only to the small-minded few in their own communities, instead, by the power of ever-evolving technology, had found newly opened sources of wealth and status coming from around the world, soon becoming known as televangelists. Yeah, we know them, we love them. Um, it's funny, you, you kind of wanted to cover these because I think... I. In my head, initially, I was like Pat O'Reilly, but that's not it. I think it's Pat Robertson. <laughs> Pat Robertson. Yeah. Is the, yeah, he's about 173 years old now. Uh, yeah, he's the one who does the, I believe it's the the, the 700 Club. 700 Club, um, yep. The Christian Broadcast Network. So if you, as a kid, if you didn't have cable, I lived out on a farm. We didn't have cable or satellite. Every Sunday morning, we pretty much, it was the only thing on was either church or the 700 Club on Sundays. So we always had to watch that. I I'm determined to do an episode about that man someday because he is wild. But I have a feeling these people you're about to talk about here even more wild. Yeah. So he's more famous, uh, mostly because he's been able to keep himself in the spotlight. So I will be talking about one particular family of these kind of like televangelists who kind of really burnt out due to their own misdeeds. But yeah, definitely he's been able to keep himself in the limelight for a very long time. And anytime something bad or something weird comes around, he's always there giving his very horrible advice and theories about, you know, why these things happen. There, uh, by the way, quick side note before we continue here, HBO, there is a documentary about a small culty church um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's only like four episodes. Pretty good. They like kind of own a town or like most of the town. It's pretty, I think it was yes. the uh, weight loss Christian cult. Well, there was a cult that was up in, um, I believe it was Oregon or Washington. Were they the ones who had the cops with the pink? No, 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 that's Netflix. This one's that's only Netflix. on HBO, HBO go. I think it was a weight loss religion kind of thing probably started out in california just like the <laughs> one i'm about to talk about i'm pretty sure it's tennessee actually tennessee or kentucky okay gotcha baker 
Osteen, Haggy, and Robertson. Just a few examples of these alleged con men, adding every facet of showmanship and promise-making learned from their predecessors, who would take their act to the big stage, shaking out the disposable income from the feeblest, most downtrodden and least capable-minded among us, often preaching prosperity theology, which is a claim that God favors those who give these con men money and that any donation made to their tax shelter and organizations will somehow come back to them many times over. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, basically your last sentence there, in a nutshell, trickle-down economics, which don't exist. But the thing is, I was just wondering, like, televangelists, right? It has to be like a predominantly American thing, right? I would imagine... The the reason I see it, this is more of an American thing, is because not the religious aspect, the ability to con people out of money and then, you know, like that's a legal thing. Um, and then I'm assuming because oh. what I'm saying is like it's, you know, America's kind of like the make money any means possible type of way. Yeah. Uh, I imagine a lot of countries probably wouldn't allow someone like this to exist yeah they might they might actually go after these grifters they <laughs> they won't allow them just to you know actually go on tv collect money from all these people making false promises and then not tax them because they have you know untaxable status yeah so. and then they wave by while they're flying away in their private jet like i mean yeah. <laughs> it gets a little ridiculous after a while yeah, basically on the private jet that they told their people that, you know, they need to help pay for. Like, God wants them to have a private jet to go spread the word. So, see, it's what I mean is just things like that just seem such like such an American thing. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. More, not religion. You're talking about more of the mega church televangelist yeah, shit. Like the money aspect of it. Okay. Gotcha. However, what happens when the spilling over of wealth, power, and praise is not enough for these men and women, requiring ever more from their parishioners than the average charlatan is willing to take, pushing through to a level of physical and emotional harm, often only reserved for the most evil despots, and of course, the Catholic Church. <laughs> that is what leads us to today's episode, when we look into the successes and downfall of one of the most despicable manipulators of the 20th century. As for this episode, we will be discussing husband and wife evangelists, team Tony and Susan Alamo, and the Alamo Christian Ministries. Alamo, huh? You'll find out why. <sighs> okay. But yeah, Alamo. It's spelled Alamo, but it is pronounced Alamo. They just, uh, you can tell they're white trash because they wanted to class it up a little bit. Yeah, so that wasn't their that wasn't his original last name, but uh you'll find out why he wanted to, you know, kind of take a name and make it sound a little bit more, you know, like predominantly Italian, I guess, is what he thought <laughs> Alamo sounded like. So you could be like your name uh we'll just call you Opate. Like with, Yeah, and make, make it, it sound French. Yeah. It's not Opat. No. It's not Czech. Or maybe Irish sounding. <laughs> Opate. Yeah. It's very it's French. I have culture. Opate, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm named after a famous dish. <laughs> it is great when someone does that to just a regular name. 
they try to church up their own name, like either with the saying or the spelling of it. You know what I've always wondered? So it seems like teachers purposely mispronounce people's names. Are mm-hmm. they, I'm always wondering, like, are they doing it on purpose? Are they told, don't worry about saying it right, just pronounce it as it's written? Or like, you know what I'm saying? I think that they really, after a few years, just don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't. Yeah. Like, I barely learn people's names now. Do you know how many times I've been called Corey? Like, there's no <laughs> fucking R at all in it. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, well, when we were kids, Cody was a really popular name. You don't see many kids now named Cody. So no. Most kids now are named something weird. But <laughs> Brockton or like Turner or something Brockton? weird like that. But Brockton. There's a lot. I've heard of, like on Instagram, you see a lot of people talking like saying like my my kid Brockton, my son Brockton did blah, blah, blah. It's like, God, how many Brocktons are there on Instagram? It just sounds like a fraternity filled with pieces of broccoli. I don't know. <laughs> it's just what it reminds me of. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those weird names. Maybe it's so weird that I just can't like remember hearing it. You know, careful. You don't want to venture too far into that old man area oh, that, quite yet. Okay, don't get there quite yet. Also, it makes me think of Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Every time I hear Brockton, I think of Brock. <laughs> Tony Alamo, birth name Bernie Lazar Hoffman, originally from Joplin, Missouri. He was born in September of 1934. He grew up in a family of the Jewish faith. Uh, His father was actually originally immigrated to America from Romania. This is allegedly, uh, as Tony claims, he, he was a kind of like a dance instructor. Gotcha. Now, Tony alleged that his family, though, wasn't particularly that religious. Not much was really known for sure about his upbringing. Tony was, let's just say he was the kind of guy who would change his origin story whenever he needed to or saw fit, and he would change it depending on whoever he was speaking to. He was one of those people. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I I mean, obviously, we all know these people, right? Oh, definitely. So he would actually leave Joplin, Missouri as a teenager, and he would set out for Los Angeles. And obviously, he wanted some of that stardom that was going around, uh, trying out his luck originally as a pop singer. I guess he's ahead of his time if it's, you know, 40s, 50s, you know, not a lot of, you know, they probably wouldn't have even imagined something like Backstreet Boys would have existed. So... Um, <laughs> no, definitely not. Not even like uh, the fucking Beatles or Elvis. Yeah, he he left in the late 40s after World War Two. Who uh, who were some of like the uh, who sings Mr. Sandman? You know, that song. I think that's a group of guys. Oh, they were all kind of like the quartet of like white boys singing songs <laughs> back then. Pretty much yeah. like the Mr. Sandman is kind of like that, like a quartet. You know what? I'm kind of curious now that you mentioned this guy was Jewish. Um, I obviously Minnesota doesn't have like a huge Jewish population. so I don't really know any people of that faith, but I've always wondered, is there any former Jewish like now atheists? You know, like obviously there's a lot of like Catholics like that or uh, Muslims or something. But I wonder if like the people there's people of the Jewish faith who just are like, I'm done with this. I think that especially living in, you know, a place where you can be free, like America, 
you know, well, certain parts of America, you can, you know, live your atheist <laughs> life, but I'm sure there has to be, I, I, yeah, we grew up in small town, bumfuck Iowa and you moved to Minneapolis where you're saying there's not really a lot of Jewish people you, you know, uh, Phoenix, there's not a ton at all out here that I've ever met. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I imagine, you know, there's gotta be former everything's there's former Mormons, former Muslims, former Christians. There's gotta be, you know, former Jewish people out there. They don't seem as radical as like Christians or uh, Muslims get. No, not really. Maybe, maybe in Israel, maybe they're a little bit more, you know, because the place where they're living, they're kind of, you're almost, you know, forced I forgot. To I forgot about the Hasidic of, Jews. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There. I imagine. I imagine if you're a former, like if 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 you're in like the more conservative order, if you grew up in the more conservative orders, maybe it's harder to get away from them. Like, yeah, probably. There was a. I think it was on Netflix. There's a documentary about the Hasidic Jews in um, New York. I think not nice oh. people. Yeah, that's the one where the kind of like they were talking to former female members of, of yeah. that order yep. right yeah okay i've seen i think i've seen at least the first episode of that yeah Yikes. i know what you're talking about yeah that that's a uncomfortable documentary oh definitely yeah because he had thought that bernie lazar hoffman maybe sounded a little bit too jewish he would actually change his name when he had gotten to california going by both at different times mark hoffman and marcus abad Now, this was in order to help further his budding singing career. He would begin to dress in the finest of clothing and jewelry. This was obviously to make others think that he was a huge success, even going as far as hiring bodyguards and renting limo rides for himself. This was in order to project success. This was despite the fact that he wasn't really that good at singing at all. Uh, this actually went a long way in hindering his prospects, booking any gigs, or being able to like, have his albums paid for. He had to pretty much record his own albums, his own songs. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, it's great to pretend like you're big, but the singing is kind of the important part of being a pop singer. Oh, definitely, yeah. The fake it till you make it. That's great and all, but you kind of have to have talent too in some of those, you know, like fake it till you make it, but you also, you know, behind the scenes have to be doing good too. So it would have, you have to, to be, be putting the work in. It would know? be kind of fun, honestly, to just, okay, you're going to hire two bodyguards. You pull up somewhere in a limo, just act like you're someone really important and just wonder what people are thinking about you. It'd be kind of fun, but it'd be a tough facade to keep up for more than a few hours. I want you to think about this. Think about just the most kind of, you know, mid-level whatever club in Minneapolis. Think about pulling up in one of those stretch Hummer limos, having two bodyguards come out and start pushing people out of the way as you show up and just like walk to the front of the line and don't even like acknowledge the bouncer, just walk in. (laughs) I wonder how, I wonder if that would work. Especially in a town like Minneapolis, you think they would just assume if somebody in Minneapolis had all of that, that they must be someone important and just let you walk right in? I mean, maybe. I don't know. A lot of athletes uh, go to those places. I don't know if if they get treated better. Maybe they do. Because they obviously obviously are going to have an entourage. 
they would probably think you were someone's manager or like someone important who is involved with like you know the Timberwolves or the Vikings or you know I'll, probably not the probably not probably not the Twins because I don't think anyone there makes enough money to have a limo. <laughs> no, there's a reason they call the people who support the team the Polad pa- Pocket Protectors because <laughs> the uh, owners of the team are notoriously cheap. Oh, definitely, yeah. After claiming that he had had a huge hit track by the name of Little Yankee Girl released, which he had written and recorded himself. Uh, But if you ever listen to it, it's in no way considered a hit. He actually would eventually change his tact, though, convincing others that instead of being a super successful singer-songwriter, he was actually a super successful manager. Rather kind of like taking the talent under his wing rather than being the talent himself. Now, he would make these claims to young, up-and-coming, very naive performers that he had represented famous acts in the past, such as the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, among others. Also, he would again change his name, trying to sound apparently more Italian, going for the rest of his life by the moniker Tony Alamo during the 1960s. I kind of love this, but uh, it's funny because I do know somebody who acts like this, number one. Number two, um, so this guy was basically just born a con man. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I don't know. You kind of you kind of hear it, too, with the woman he eventually marries. She almost, I don't know if it was circumstances where they grew up or uh, it, they just kind of like they took to it. You know, some people take to they play baseball really well or, you know, some other sport. They sing really well. They're just con men at the core, you know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes fate (laughs) brings that, you know, that happens. Like, obviously, obviously, they're not killers as far as I know, but you got serial killers that end up together. It's uh, so why not two con men? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially with these con men. They and women, con men and women, I should say, they almost it's about making the quickest, easiest buck. You know, they a lot of them, it seems like when you read about their kind of like their lifestyle, they'll do like a big con, make some money and then kind of live off that for a while until they have no money left and they have to go back to work. It's not about like, you know, in in Hollywood movies, it seems like they glorify you know, these grifters kind of like make them seem like they're in it for the love of the game. In reality, it seems like they get one big score and then they live off that for as long as they can until they have no money left and no option rather than to go do, you know, another con pretty much. Well, I'm assuming they're con people because they don't (laughs) want to like have a job and stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They don't want to. It's it's getting the most doing the least yeah pretty much with all of this and i mean what these two do is actually kind of goes against that because you'll kind of hear at the end of this episode and really all of next episode they do their damnedest to kind of keep these balls juggled up in the air and they do a lot but they get a shit ton in return it's almost kind of like they 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 realize both of them together that they can make millions of dollars just by keeping the act up and not kind of settling back down, you know, into alcohol and drugs and doing whatever the fuck they wanted. If they kind of kept it up, they could extend this con 
really. Right. They found they they kind of find the honeypot, I'm guessing, is what you're oh, saying. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yep. They find the honeypot right around where everyone else is finding, you know, <laughs> this endless pot of honey, pretty much. Mm. You'll find and we'll talk about it in this paragraph, pretty much. All right. Now, Tony developed this grift in order to book these young talents to gigs around Los Angeles. He would charge the venues a larger amount of money than he had disclosed to his musical clients, keeping obviously the difference for himself. He would take that money and then invest in properties around Southern California and also, especially in his ever more extravagant lifestyle, in order to continue his scam. It really, he would actually start getting introduced to like more and more influential people. People actually really kind of started to buy that he was, you know, kind of making these talents and not as much buying the bullshit of the, you know, what he used to say, but really like he was actually booking talent. Um, and I mean, just like we found out with all of the boy bands of like the nineties, they were doing basically the same thing that he was doing back in the sixties, which was robbing his clients blind. I th- honestly, though, I think <laughs> that happens a lot. Um, oh, yeah. The manager charging the venue more than what he's giving to the clients. One million percent happens still. Um, he'd probably be considered a quote unquote bad businessman if he didn't. He's yeah. He, anyone. Oh, I was going to say that HBO movie about Elvis. Did you watch that? I've been told to. I haven't yet. OK, so he had this manager by the name, I believe, Colonel Parker who robbed him blind for years. Remember the, uh, that's what that one guy did with the NWA, um, guys. Oh yeah. Robbed him blind. Uh, yeah. He's a regular old Don King of his era here. Yeah. I mean, pretty small time. Don King, um, with this act, Don King kind of made it huge, you know, representing the biggest boxers in the world and fucking taking every dime out of them. Nickel and diming them on every single exchange. Yep. 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 So really it was around this time that he would once again, change his kind of like the way he goes about his con, um, 1964, possibly early 1965 is when he would meet a woman that would change his life. Her name was Edith Horn. Eventually going by the name Susan, they would allegedly fall in love at first sight, despite the fact that they had both been currently married while meeting. Oh, okay. Little, little affair going to go on here. Um, it would be kind of fun if they, they got married, right? And she was Susan, uh, would it be Susan Horn Hoffman or Hoffman Horn? Be kind of a <laughs> kind of a cool name. Yeah. I don't know. Well, her real name, so I'm gonna mention it a little bit. They both kind of take this thing on where they change their names. Uh Tony and Susan Alamo would actually be the last names that they, you know, change to. But really, I mean, he has a bunch of names previous to this. She has a couple of names. Every time she marries, she takes on a new surname. Also going back to her her maiden name. So it must- she, it's it's almost kind of like it helps them back. We we talked a lot about serial killers back in the day, being able to just kind of scratch out the name on their license, put a new one on, and then now there are new people. It yeah. must have been pretty much the same thing. I think it's kind of a pain in the ass to change your name nowadays. Oh, or definitely. At least, or at least you got to yeah. pay a good chunk of money. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's not like you can just go by a new name and all of a sudden, you know, legally you're that new name in a different state. Your name follows you around. now, Right. Like I couldn't go change my name to Pitbull. Like I, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you go by. Your legal name is still Cody. Yeah. 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 So Susan Horn, birth name Edith Opalhorn, was born in Alma, Arkansas in 1925. She had been previously married twice before she had met Tony. Uh, Like I mentioned, changing her name each time, she was going by the name Susan Lipowitz at the time when fate would have her cross paths with Tony, who at the time was going by the name, like I mentioned before, Marcus Abad. (sighs) These, yeah, you aren't joking. These people are made for each other. Um, Opal, underrated name, I think, Phil. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Kind of a, actually, there was a couple of Opals back in Cresco. They were all in their 70s, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I don't know if there's many people alive that have the first name Opal, but um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think an Opal's got to be one of the least valuable gemstones, right? Yeah, uh, that and whatever is in like agates, whatever that mineral is. (laughs) I have no fuck... I have no idea. Uh, minerals, I I'm... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not really my thing either. No. What's the fake diamonds called? Oh, fake fake gems. Um, the cubic zirconiums. Yeah. Just name your kid yep. that. Cubic zirconian. <laughs> Middle <laughs> name zirconian, yeah. first name cubit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny how... People spend so this is kind of off topic how people spend so much money on diamonds. But if they actually found out how little diamonds were and it's the De Beers Corporation that basically kind of hoards all the diamonds in these gigantic fucking like these gigantic fucking vaults. Basically, I mean, they've done this. Honestly, it is kind of a con. They've done this for years, kind of keeping the supply low so that it raises the value. If, if honestly, if all those diamonds flooded the market, diamonds would be worth nothing. Right. Uh, yeah, we'll have to cover that one day because that is, wow. That is a, uh, that is the world's biggest lie. It's like people know it's a lie too, but they still want to buy them. It's status thing. All the fucking celebrities and athletes and all that shit are the the ones keeping them in business. Yep, it's shiny and you can waste your money on it. <laughs> Shows people that you have disposable income, lots of it. Right, right. Now, before meeting Tony, Edith Horn had actually gotten married at the age of 13 years old to a man named Tom Brown. Also, at 13 years old, she would put up a child from that coupling up for adoption at the same time also at 13 years old she would move away from arkansas migrating in the state of california and trying a new life out in la that of stardom yeah i i kind of feel like during the 60s 50s 60s it was just like or i guess even at this time it was like a lot of hope of becoming a big rock star right or big big singing star whatever Probably just a big movie star because like yeah. movies were really starting to take off. People had some disposable income, you know, kind of like during the war and movies were starting to get kind of, you know, sound and 
you know, the talkies, basically. <laughs> the talkies. So, uh, <laughs> that's here, what they call them, the talkies. Here's the other thing. Married at 13, very Arkansas-like activity going on here. Um, oh, definitely. Jesus. I guess what would have it been if she's 1925, 1938? Yeah, yeah, I guess they still kind of did that there. So she would have left. The Depression would have still been going on. Um it's pretty ballsy to, you know, leave home during the latter half, latter days of the, the Depression. But I suppose if you're used to it, if you grew up with it, you just kind of know, you know, a lot of actually a lot of the people like our grandmas out there and grandpas, you know, born during the Depression. Very good with money. So maybe that's where she gets it from. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe our grandmas are mine. Basically. I'm sorry, Grandma, but you're kind of like the human version of a squirrel, just <laughs> hoarding food that you knew you were never going to eat. Well, just in case, you know, uh, yeah, to, she would have been fine during COVID. Yeah. You guys would have been eating fucking 13 year old SpaghettiOs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> here to kingdom come. Yeah. There's never not anything to eat at my grandma's house, but also expected to be stale. Oh, yeah, definitely. Those cookies, I remember she would bring out. I believe she brought out the same pack of cookies for seven straight years. Yeah. Yep, this sounds no like one, grandma. No, ta- no takers. No, no. <laughs> now, she would aim to get to Los Angeles. However, during her teenage years in California, she mostly lived in San Francisco. There, she would find work as what is known as a tea girl. I'm actually just learned about this uh, while writing this episode. Apparently a tea girl meant that she hung out at bars and kind of struck up conversations with lonely men or men who she thought was attracted to her and she would have them buy her drinks. However, the bartender would only put tea in her drinks, which was obviously much cheaper. Her and the bartender apparently working together would then split the profits at the end of the night. Now, during her adulthood would be the first time that she changed her name to Susan, and she would also begin traveling the country with her daughter, Chris. Really, she became what is known as an itinerant preacher. This was someone who spoke about the basics of Christian redemption theory, though what she was actually doing was a little bit different. Um, She would go to a congregation and ask to speak after the Mass, Really what she was actually doing, she would ask to speak at the end of the mass to the congregation. She would then go up and claim that she and her daughter had just gotten back from missionary work, doing really God's work out in some downtrodden country. Huh. Okay. I mean, obviously we know (sighs) these people who want to talk after the preacher's done or whatever, but um, so I'm kind of seeing the little, the stew getting brewed here. She is having the fundamentals of the religion, and she's meeting a man who's a master um, con man, and they're going to kind of just, like, fucking the Power Rangers robot (laughs) thing, just come together and be one mighty unit. Yeah, they're going to do the fusion dance. Yes. And become one unstoppable force. (laughs) Money vacuuming fucking technology. Yeah, exactly. So... She gave her kid up for adoption, though, right? Is this another girl? This is a different child. Okay. So she gave her child up for adoption, the one from when she was 13. Okay. So later on, she would have another child. And this is the the daughter that she would travel around with. 
Everyone calls her Chris. Her real name is like Chrysanthemum or something really weird. Some kind of hard to say. Chrysanthemum. Chris, Chris, it sounds like Chrysanthemum when you kind of like hear it and look at it, but it's supposedly like Christianium or something like that. It's really weird spelling. I this T girl thing though fascinating. Um, wouldn't it be a nice experiment to just like try to set up this game with a bartender? So I believe. Okay, so when I was in the military, you'd hear about a lot of guys who would Rhea, and there was a lot of these girls who basically hung out in Korean bars who were kind of there just 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 to kind of talk to dudes and, you know, hang out with them, show them a good time. It wasn't ever really like a sex thing, but it was kind of made like, ooh, maybe it could be a sex thing if she likes you. You know, you were supposed to like buy her drink, basically like buy her time kind of deal. Okay, so like, a, I don't want to say rent a girlfriend, but kind of like that? A little bit. I'm trying to remember what their names were. So the lady who in char- was in charge of the bar was called... A mama son. Juicy. They were called Juicies. That's what they were called. Juicies. Okay. Yeah. Juicy girls. They were called Juicies. Basically, they were there to try to get the guys to like drink more, to buy more drinks. Oh, so they work for the bar to help yes. get more income for the bar and then they probably get paid. Yeah, they get a little bit of money. Also, there was a thing too. Apparently, one of their cons, was, uh, the American like airmen would try to, you know, they would, they would get the guy to think that like oh this girl really likes me so then the mama-san would say like well if you want to hang out with her tonight if you want to take her home like you got to buy her time so she wants to go home with you but you're gonna have to pay the bar to get her out of here so apparently the guy would pay to get her out of there take her back to the base and then once on base she would just walk away from him and go to her boyfriend's house or you know (laughs) dorm or wherever he lived so apparently that happened a lot too is like thanks sucker and then she just went to go fuck her boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you should know better. But uh I guess you know what? <laughs> There's a lot of lonely people out there so I mean you can't always can't always blame them. Definitely. A lot of lonely airmen out in the country who don't know how the world quite yet. I think Japan has the like rent a girlfriend or rent a boyfriend thing. Oh, I'm sure they have not, a lot of weird stuff. You not, can buy fucking used underwear vending machines. There's a lot of weird shit out in that I country. I think the rent a thing isn't a sexual thing. It's just like for company. Kind of like an escort a little bit. I mean, in America, when I hear escort, I think of <laughs> prostitute, illegal yeah. what sex es- worker. What escorts are supposed to be is kind of like, yeah, you're basically paying them to like hang out with you, you know, like if go do something with you or you know like if you have like an event or something have a girl hanging off your arm that's kind of like the theory behind it but really it's just it's mostly sex well escorts sugar babies i mean it's kind of i mean i don't know i've never been involved with that life but usually it's there for an express purpose of somebody getting laid more or less yeah money for sex yeah the game Yeah. yeah Now, Susan and her daughter would stand up in front of these churches. Susan would be dressed in very, you know, plain but nice clothing. She would actually go and then point to her daughter while giving her, you know, little sermon that she was giving. Her daughter 
Chris would be dressed in tattered rags. That's when Edith would turn it around and claimed that they both needed monetary donations. This was to either continue their missionary work outside the country or possibly for them to just get back home. Now, according to her daughter, Chris, she had claimed that her mother also would claim to be a reformed drug addict. This was in order to acquire more funding from the parishioners. Yeah. Okay. This is uh this is pretty solid con. I got, I got to say, Phil, um, it's funny because I think it was last weekend. I literally rewatched some zombie land. Remember the part where they like do the ring con at the gas station? Yes. Yep. So this is what this reminds me of. Oh yeah, definitely. Just these little kind of setups. This is a little bit less direct than like the ring con. Like there isn't like a focused victim. This is just kind of, you know, a, a large group of people and they're giving money out of the goodness of their heart. You know, it's not really, it's not really directed at a single person like that was. Right. But yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. 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 They're working a, a whole crowd of people. So Yeah. And Apparently, Chris claimed that her mother called this a church job and that in reality, Susan wasn't that religious at all. It was kind of obviously, well, what just like with most, you know, televangelists, preachers, you know, God, men and women, she wasn't very religious at all. She just used it when she needed it. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, I think that happens a lot. I I knew somebody that they told me their parent, their mother would sign them up for timeshare thingies and then force them to go so that the mom could get the reward from it. Oh, really? Yikes, yeah. Make, make them sit through a six-hour fucking... <laughs> yeah, so they you, so she could get the money or whatever. Make them sit through a six-hour PowerPoint session so that she could get the money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ugh. That's fucking even more evil than what she's doing at that church. <laughs> That's horrible. I making, know. Making another human being sit through those fucking pitches. Yeah, it's not good. Definitely. Now, Edith's daughter, Chris, would also claim that she would work these churches only when they needed funds and that her mother spent a lot of the money, first and foremost, on booze and cigarettes, really just kind of neglecting the needs that the two of them had for any kind of like real decent shelter or security, uh, moving from place to place very often. And when money started to go low, they would basically just kind of eat whatever they can get their hands on until they absolutely had to go con another group of people. You know what? At uh, one point in both of our lives, Phil, cigarettes and booze, that was um, our, our form of nourishment. Oh. Oh, that was the most important thing. I lived off of cigarettes and Mountain Dew for probably two solid years. Yeah. Yeah. And those little quick star chicken sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. Man, you and definitely. I used to fucking go to the gas station, get our cigarettes, get our liter of whatever soda, <laughs> just be ready for the day. Just, that was our weekend. Was just, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, cigarettes and just as much coffee as that little pot of fucking the coffee maker could make. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, remember yeah. that shit. We, we had no money. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Coffee put in a double shift uh, for us almost every day. Definitely. So Susan, after grifting for long enough, she would actually finance a trip for the two of them back to California. This time, though, she would move to Los Angeles once again, seeking movie stardom. This was until she walked into Aldo's restaurant where the fateful day came that she had met Tony. 
Tony, who was sitting at the bar dressed in very fine clothing, was actually approached by Susan with Chris in tow. Uh, Susan actually thought that wearing these fine clothing and the jewelry and everything, he must be wealthy. You uh, you think he had a pinky ring? Oh, definitely. This okay. type of dude definitely has a pinky ring. Every every good con man has a fake gold pinky ring with maybe a fake um whatever the red one is <laughs> ruby. <laughs> oh yeah, the, the like the ruby encrusted that goes all the way. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, back in my time in England, uh, we used to go out to some of the bars out in those little towns. You would see the uh, the gypsy folk out there. Their their gypsy king would always have like two rings on each finger, and they would always be like just cheap cost like costume looking jewelry. But yeah, the the gold ring with the uh, the rubies on it was a big one. <laughs> rubies and emeralds. Yep, only the best. <laughs> now, according to Chris. She had known him from her time kind of like hanging out on the and really had figured him out as a con man right away. As far as the interaction between her mother and Tony, Chris had said that it was like a tennis match of horse crap and that neither of the two really had had enough money to pay for the bar tab that they were racking up. They were both kind of trying to con the other one into paying it off. Hey, this true romance right there, if you ask me. Yeah, two chess champions finally meeting up and, you know, going at it. Did you hear about that chess champion? Um, he had the uh, the vibrating butt plug in and <laughs> someone was sending him Morse code on what moves to make. No, I did not. I did not hear that. Yeah. Is that, is that a movie or is that real? No, it's it's real. It's 100 percent real. It's off. It's about to be a Netflix movie, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty smart, I guess. Um, but but yeah, it's I, I don't know. It, it have to be interesting to watch them try to con the other one. I'll be curious how this. Uh, do you know how it ends? Who pays? Oh, of course, I know how it ends. I know. The, oh, who paid for it? No, I don't know who actually who actually paid for it. Knowing these two, they probably ran out on the fucking tab. <laughs> but no, I don't know who actually kind of like won in the end. But really, they kind of realize from this point on they claim that it was love at first sight though it's almost really like a partnership beginning they went into enterprise together from this ah, moment on you know what I, i'm yeah. seeing the sparks already definitely i do kind of like the idea of the uh the the chess champion with the vibrating butt plug he probably combined his two biggest loves chess championship fucking matches and butt stuff yeah you know what you uh you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life, right? That's true. <laughs> now, during the conversation, Susan would ask Tony if he believed in God, to which he supposedly answered yes, though Susan would also claim to other people that it was at this moment she had converted Tony to Christianity. Eventually, this relationship would leave them to both divorce their respective partners, uh, come together as a couple, and even open up a ministry together in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm sure he did convert to Christianity just for different reasons other than the religion itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, pretty much, you know, what they wanted to do, they had to. There's also kind of a, a bit of a like a theory that... Susan really had like bigger and better ideas for her con and she wanted to open up her own church. The problem is that there is this whole kind of patriarchal thing to Christianity at the time, uh, even nowadays. 
and that she needed a man to be the kind of like the front of the operation where she could kind of like run things from the background. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. Yeah. That makes sense. I, uh, quick question before we continue here. So obviously yeah. you, you know, you're, you're probably more social than me. Go to the bar or whatever. Um, if you're <laughs> I wouldn't call me social. I go to the bar. But yeah. <laughs> well, that's Continue. all. Uh, anyway. So if you're talking to a nice young lady or whatever, um, yeah. and she asks you about God or Jesus or whatever, do you, do you, do you just fire away and be like, actually, I'm, I'm pretty atheist. What? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, if I think I might get laid, I might lie a little. I might, you know, <laughs> just say like, yeah, I'm just not like big on practicing it, blah, blah, blah. But if I don't think that there's a chance, I'll just say whatever I feel like. So like, you know, test it out. No, I'm an atheist, you know, kind of say that shit. She see how she takes it. She might respect it. You know, who knows? I think you're too honest. It might, too, it uh, might flip the table, you know, but I, I have lied before. So, yeah, it's, uh, I was just going to say like, what, what about you? What would you do? I mean, I would just be honest because I was just going to say, uh, like using the dating apps and stuff. Um, yeah. If I see really religious or whatever, God's a big part of my life. I'm just like, nah, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I just don't want. I don't think I could, uh, I've heard of people working like one's religious, one's not, but I just, I don't know if I could do it or not. Yeah. There was a girl when I was living out in New Mexico that I had met on a dating app. She lived out in Amarillo. I drove out to go see her and we go, we go to this restaurant. It's kind of a cheap, not very good, like Mexican restaurant. We sit down and she like puts her hand up. Like she wants to meet like to hold my hand and then she starts praying out loud at the table which you know obviously i thought was fucking insane but apparently it's normal in west texas well, yeah it you is know, texas so. phil come on definitely but yeah she was a pretty cool chick but it was a little weird a little it took me back a little bit so right right i don't i don't know there's somebody uh there's plenty of people who share the same religious values as us i'm sure yeah plenty of people willing to lie too, to keep it up <laughs> Now, before meeting Susan, Tony had actually claimed that he had been visited by none other than Jesus Christ himself. This happened while he was in a meeting at a Beverly Hills investment firm. Apparently, Jesus foretold of his own return to earth. And wouldn't you know it? Claimed that Jesus had burdened him with the task of spreading the good news that he had been given to the world. Yeah, I'm sure... Jesus in spirit's going to be going to a fucking Beverly Hills investment firm. <laughs> what the fuck is okay. So did he tell Susan this or is this the lie that both of them had together? I don't know if he, I don't know if he had made, let's just fucking be straight here. I don't know if he had made up this story yet by the time that he had met Susan or if this came later on, that's the thing. You don't really know when, you know, all of this is kind of not written down, obviously, for years, if not decades. So they're kind of going back and telling you all of this stuff. That's why a lot of the sources that I've read either had these hap these events occurring in like early 1960s or late 1960s. The only thing that's really nailed down is when they get married. They get married in 1966. That's when things are really like nailed down. Because they have like the certificate and everything. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming when you got 
you know, basically a con going on here. Yeah. It's probably hard to weed through the truth and the lies, you know, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, definitely. It's going to be hard to kind of navigate through that, but, um, I guess we'll just uh, make our own judgments here. Especially when year after year, the lies are growing more grandiose. Yeah. Um, They're changing depending on who you're talking to, you know, what these people need to hear in order for you to fleece them. It's all changing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, the one thing I'm going to say is I'll never understand why Jesus seems to visit people in the most mundane, unimportant places ever. Like, during a meeting at a Beverly Hills investment firm, like oh, there's definitely. no other better yeah. time of the day to talk to him. Definitely in the 1960s. I don't even actually believe that he would be invited to like a meeting like that, mm, you know, like mm. at an investment firm. Uh, maybe if he kind of made the right connections, but I doubt anyone who had any real idea about money, investing, anything like that would listen to him for more than 20 seconds. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just not going to happen. He's got a pinky ring. You got to believe him. Though I will say he did do like kind of like how they mixed together. He was definitely in charge of the money on the back end because he was like the money would always be invested in property and businesses, all of that stuff. Had it been up to her, I think she would have just blown right through it. Yeah. If you got money, those are solid investments. That's for sure. Yeah, it it would have been invested in fucking uh, whiskey and cigarettes had, you know, had it been up to her. <laughs> now, after meeting Susan and before marriage in 66, Tony would actually spend some time in prison on a weapons charge, though he would only spend like really just kind of a short time there. This was before moving the three of them to Las Vegas, where Edith and Tony would get married. And this is obviously... There's a few different times that they supposedly changed their names. This is kind of like the concrete they claim to have changed their names on this day to Susan and Tony Alamo, which Tony had thought made him sound more like an Italian singer than, you know, what his old names were. Uh, But I don't really think it sounds that Italian, like I've said before, Alamo. No, no, I don't know what it sounds like, but I, I mean, I... It, Tony Alamo does sound like a Vegas singer name to <laughs> like me. One it that does. you would see, one that you, one that you would see performing at like birthday parties and on street corners. Yeah, like it, it okay. does kind of. I mean, it has a nice ring to it. Yeah, a little bit. If it wasn't spelled Alamo, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe if he tried to. Well, I don't know. You're the you're the chef, but there's something you can do to food to make it Alamo. Alamo, something like that. Never heard of that. Alamode? I don't know. Maybe I'm mispronouncing it or misspeaking it, but... Alamode kind of sounds more like it, but uh, I couldn't tell you what it means. Okay. Maybe it's been a long time since those classes. But now, in 1969, Susan and Tony would combine forces to create the Alamo Christian Foundation. They would start this by passing out religious pamphlets and preaching on the streets of Los Angeles, specifically the Sunset Strip. They would seek out street kids, the homeless, and the downtrodden, convincing them that they should actually come back to the Alamo's home where they would have a meal and a nice place to sleep. 
they would then be moved into that small three-bedroom home just off of the strip, which had been rented out by Tony. Now, while in the house, the guests were treated to extremely dirty and cramped condition. All while, Tony, Susan, and Chris lived in more suitable housing elsewhere. This obviously caused the neighbors to complain very often, not only of the loud noises of the cramped house, but of the smell and kind of of the living conditions and all of the garbage that was accumulated. This because there would become 200 inhabitants of that home. So it's obviously understandable that they would begin calling the police and trying to get them the fuck out of there. Okay, 200 people in a three-bedroom house? Yeah, apparently that's about how many people were living in this place by the time they moved. Now, that number does seem like a little bit too high for a three-bedroom home. But, I mean, that's kind of like the number that I was getting from a few different sources. This was how many people like their church had by the time that they moved out. So, I mean, I don't really know how the... Um, I guess, what would you call it? Like the, the social system was in the government. Like, were they doing this to try to collect if they had either social security checks or like disability checks or something from these people? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. I'm going to get into that in a second, okay. but yeah, basic 1960s cult shit. That's was come. That's coming up here. Okay. Yep. I think, you know, I covered that one serial killer fucking forever ago. That was like her game. So I'm like, is that what these people are doing? Yo, the lady who would stuff sick people in her house yeah. and then cash their social security check. Yeah. yeah. And then kill them off. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, I'll get into it in a second, but that is definitely so. Okay. All right. Now, all of these new converts were monetarily under the Alamos control. The Alamos would force them to hand over any money that they had had, uh, any government aid checks or family assistance. Also, they would force the men and women to accept menial labor employment, after which they would have to hand in their entire paycheck to the ministry. They're definitely getting started off with a bang. Um, <laughs> yep. They are not fucking around. Honestly, when you hear the Alamo Christian Foundation, if I heard that today, or anybody's last name in that, I would instantly assume not good things are probably transpiring there. They still have a Facebook group with 130,000 followers. Whoa, okay. They're still on Facebook. Though there's a lot of dead accounts on Facebook. True, very true. There is still shit getting posted there. They only get about, I would say, 10 to 30 likes per post. So Okay. Doing better than us, but it's... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, besides besides taking their money, Susan and Tony also controlled the clothing that their converts wore. Also, how they cut their hair, along with many other aspects of their life. This was beginning to resemble the early stages of a fire and brimstone religious cult. They would even start to preach a doomsday prophecy which was in stark contrast to other cults that were popping up in the region, Uh, mostly either pushed forward kind of like the ideals of Buddhism or Hinduism, or possibly the teaching of free love, which was really a pillar of the hippie drug culture. They would go in a completely different direction and try to soak up a different crowd. You know what I think is really interesting, and they're kind of like right in the middle of it, is 
whenever there's a big war, like obviously World War II wasn't that long ago. Um, yeah. It's a weird like phenomena that happens where people start flocking to religion again. I'm pretty sure it happened after World War One. It happened after World War Two. Like, um, it just like weirdly happens. I don't really. I think after the Civil War, there's a shitload of it too. Actually, um, oh, that's that's when the big um, religious movements were happening all over the country. There's yeah. like a lot- right after the Civil War, they started having almost like Spiritual- it was almost like a fair like atmosphere. The spiritualist stuff, right? Yeah, the big spiritual kind of like convention. Where they would put up the big tents and have the traveling preachers come. Yeah. It's, I just, I don't know why people do that. Maybe it's just because uh, I, maybe they just feel so like their world could end at any moment. And it's just like, that's what you go to. I don't know. I just always thought that was an interesting aspect. And like, obviously they're, these people are bad, but there's a lot of them going on here. Like you had, uh. What was the other one? The really bad one. The Children of God was like right during this time too. Um, oh, they were. There was a shit ton of cults happening in Los Angeles in this time frame. Uh, the Manson family were around during this. Time. Uh, yep. There was a shit ton going on. It's just a weird thing that happens. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and there's also these religious kind of movements, and you know, kind of like ebb and flow. Uh, like when we were growing up during the what was it 2000s during the bush years like the whole you know religious thing all the evangelicals started like powering up and now there's almost none it's all gone pretty much yeah you know where they're very small very small groups yeah it's almost kind of like people get sick of their bullshit and then it (laughs) kind of goes away and then people get hungry for bullshit and it comes back so Uh, it just takes one more big uh world conflict and then it'll uh come soaring back Yep, Russia and Ukraine. Here it comes. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I can't really. I don't know really what to make of that. It's. Um. I know they just bombed Kiev like a day or two ago. It's. Uh, Apparently, the Ukrainians are winning. So that's I what know. I keep. That's according to the media. But. Here's the yeah. Here's the thing, and I think, um, listening to hardcore history is important because even back then they only heard the good things about the Americans, and obviously right now we're. Everybody's pro Ukraine, which makes sense because they got invaded, but we're only hearing that aspect of it. Yeah. Um, who knows? I mean, who knows? I really, I honestly, the people I feel bad for are the, like the people of Ukraine who are like, you know, being forced out refugees, having to fight. I also feel really bad for these conscripted Russians yeah. who are kind of like almost being ripped out of their homes and forced to go on tank back into Ukraine and fight for something that they don't believe in or even, you know, have a fight with. So uh, I feel l- bad for them. Last thing here before we keep going. I have heard, I haven't seen any, but there's a lot of mutilation videos, either like the Ukrainians doing it to the Russians or the Russians doing it to them, like the soldiers, like gruesome shit. So it's on the internet, apparently, if you want to watch that. But uh, I haven't seen any of it. But it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that kind of shows there's a, I don't know, is there's like that hatred brewing. That's yeah. pretty. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty not good. No. <laughs> so after fleeing their Los Angeles home in 1970, the Alamos would move their newly formed flock into the neighborhood of Sagas, which was outside the city limits of Los Angeles in what is known as Mint Canyon. Here. 
followers of the Alamos were forced to work long days with very little food and water. Uh, they would actually be forced to build the original compound, also an off-site church. Uh, possibly, they could also be forced to work in the many businesses owned by Tony and Susan, all the while made to take several trips into Los Angeles on a bus that they had nicknamed Heaven. This was so that they convinced more hippies and street people to come and live on the compound with them. Uh, once they came onto the compound, though, Obviously, they would find it very hard to leave the isolated property. They've got, uh, man, so far, when you have like a cult checklist, they are start, yeah. they're just checking those boxes. They've got getting control of your followers' money, cramming followers yeah. into a dirty space. Now they are building a compound and trapping the workers there and not feeding them very well or giving them water. They're at, oh, and doomsday. Doomsday, very important. Um, so they've just, they're Definitely. just like, they're checking them boxes, man. Oh yeah. Controlling their minds. Also a big thing is sleep deprivation too. Oh yeah. Which I'm going to go in, which I'll go into a tiny bit right now. So they not only forced them to work 14 hour days, they would also make them when they came home, they would make them go do like very long church services. Obviously Tony and Susan were the, you know, the preachers up there, but they would make them go out late at night, kind of like listening to these church services. And then they would make them wake up very early in the morning and go do their work, giving them very little sleep, food, you know, water, basically a person like that. After a few weeks, you give them a little bit more food or water or sleep. They'll do pretty much whatever you want them. To. Yeah. You have them completely under your fucking paw. Yeah. You got to break them down mentally and then, give them little rewards and they feel like you're the best and it's yep. fucked up. It's, it's so weird. They just like, it's, it always fascinates me how people like these two just like instantly know how to do this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's just oh, like yeah. instinctually ingrained in them. This is what you do to control people. And it's not just any people. They are finding the correct people. They know exactly where the hunting, it's the, the streets of Los Angeles, kind of these people who moved to Los Angeles because they had one kind of theory about it. A lot of them addicted to drugs, you know, maybe had mental issues, didn't have a lot of money, a lot of prospects, and they just swooped in, took them, you know, yeah, people took them for themselves. Downtrodden people. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And once you break those people down and give them those tiny little rewards, guess what? It's not two people versus a few hundred anymore. Now, all of those people who you've given those little to, they'll think, oh, if I can just, you know, turn on my fellow man and, you know, turn them in, guess what? I'll get more little reward and I'll get the favor. So basically, you turn everyone into police against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Very big in cults and despotic fucking countries. So. Right. Right. Now, this all helped Tony and Susan build a nice amount of wealth for themselves, with the pair reinvesting all of their take into ever more businesses and property, all the while still convincing people that they were finding in Los Angeles to become their parishioners, some of which actually came from wealthy families themselves. They would convince them that they needed to get up all of their possessions and money that they had and forced them to come sleep in the same dirty cramped bunkhouses with the rest of the people. 
sharing him with up to 30 others at a time. This is the Lamos lived in a nice family home on the property in the lap of luxury. Uh, members of their flock were actually forced to scavenge for food from supermarket dumpsters and had been forbidden from flushing the toilets in their bunkhouses more than once every few days. I guess at least they're environmentally friendly. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. Imagine the stink Ugh. of 30 people shitting in a toilet for three days before you could flush it. I'm yeah. here by myself and it stinks really bad when I shit one time and <laughs> flush it five minutes, or like a second after I go. Um, yeah, I don't, it's, I wa do you think they're like convincing them that Jesus wants them to live piously or what? They must be. Um, kind of going to go into their theology in the next paragraph. Okay. But yeah, they have, they, they almost have to be telling these people that like pain and suffering is the only way that they can like, make it into heaven. Kind of that whole, like it's easier for a poor man to get into heaven than it is for an, a rich man to get in because of like the, it's like an elephant getting through the eye of needle. I don't know exactly how it goes, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Basically telling them that like, you know, blessed are the meek kind of shit. Yeah. You know, cause Jesus lived, um, a very like a derelict, basically a very he didn't have a lot of possessions, minimalist, all that. Oh, yeah. Well, as the story goes, he probably wasn't a real person. But <laughs> now, as for the teachings of the LMOs, it was based on a Pentecostal theology, which had included an extreme paranoia of the Catholic Church. These teachings included the theory that the Pope and the Vatican were the real power behind the United States government. United Nations, and even the liberal media. In many of the church's literatures that the Alamos gave to the new comforts and forced their previous ones to read, it would espouse many different conspiracy theories. There were claims that aliens existed and that the aliens were coming in their UFOs as divine messengers from heaven. Also, these aliens were giving humans the signs that there was an upcoming apocalypse. So kind of, you know, ancient alien shit, basically. Kind of fun, though. In the 70s. Kind of yep. fun. Um, yeah, when you hear Pentecostal, <laughs> red flag, because, yeah, they're big on the, uh, the end of the world shit. I think, do you remember the Waco guy? Yes. I'm pretty sure he was a form of Pentecostal something or another and they had an end time prophecy and all that yeah he was kind of um it was like that offshoot of the like the millerites i believe kind of like way down the line but like davidian branch davidian yeah, was branch their davidian. Name, right yeah but i think it was a they called it a pentecostal something or another i don't really remember exactly but it was a lot of end of the world Yada, Very yada, fire yada. and brimstone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. It's. E I mean, really, right now, this story could very easily turn into like the Kool Aid moment. Right now, kind of what we're talking about, coming from like you know stories we hear before about cults. It actually kind of takes a weird turn in the next episode. But okay. It's almost. It's amazing that it didn't turn into kind of like the mass suicide. Well, from what you've said so far. To have the Kool-Aid moment, you have to 
have an enemy or at least a false enemy that's coming to destroy you. And I don't know if they've really laid the groundwork for that yet. So it's being it's being raised right now. Okay. So right. one of the things that like pushed them out of LA was the authorities. Uh, they're also going to be pushed out of California in the next uh, paragraph, and that's pretty much the California state authorities coming after them. Oh, so okay. They are they are starting to rack up some some enemies in the government. The go- yep, the government's against them. Yada yada yada. Okay, I got you. Oh, definitely. And eventually, well, next episode we'll talk. But eventually, the worst thing that happened to a religious or a religion or a religious cult will happen to them. Okay, so, can't wait for next week. While riding high off the hard work and resources of their flock, Tony and Susan began to meet some very influential people back in Los Angeles. Also, though, they were beginning to catch the attention of the California state authorities for the allegations of abuse and labor law violations that they were racking up. Apparently, in the mid-1970s, things began to boil over, and Tony and Susan began thoughts of moving their congregation out of state. They would eventually settle on Susan's home state, the bustling little town of Alma, Arkansas, which by then had been pretty much bought up and completely controlled by the Alamos. They had owned as many as 29 businesses in the regions, They would all become staffed by, of course, the followers of the church with little to no pay. 29 businesses. Jesus. Okay, here's another check mark, though. Uh, Buying a whole town. (laughs) Yeah, buying the. Yep. They like you talked about before. It's kind of how Scientology became so wealthy and powerful. They love buying up property, reinvesting in themselves. Yeah, it's any successful cult has. Yeah, I can see, you know, obviously Arkansas, I would consider a very conservative state, especially if you go back to uh, the 70s, they probably thought they opened up, they welcomed them with open arms, I would imagine. Well, also too, Arkansas, even now, but especially back then, total backwater. I mean, you get a lot of attention living just outside of Los Angeles. You live out in Arkansas doing this shit. You're getting no attention pushed towards you. I mean, they the state just doesn't have the resources like California does. Yeah, so you get a lot more leeway for everything, especially when you own the town. Yeah, the only way you're gonna fucking upset anybody is if you if all these people were to like disturb a Razorbacks game or something, you know, like I don't isn't that there the Arkansas? Oh yeah, it's the, it's the Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if they were if they were if they were to disrupt an NC game. Then definitely there would be hell to yeah. pay. But if you don't do that, you're probably fine down in <laughs> SEC country. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much where we're going to end part one. So today's episode really has to do with kind of like the fun part of the religion, of the, you know, the cult building and all of that. Uh, next week's episode goes into probably some of the ugliest cult practices of the 20th century. That's saying something because they've had some pretty bad ones so far. Yeah, they've been doing some pretty pretty dirty shit. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit, so I didn't really bring it up in this episode, but uh, some of the allegations against Tony Alamo are going to start during this time. Uh Really, though, without Susan in the picture, uh, Susan actually dies in the 1980s. 
a lot of allegations like go into overdrive against Tony about some of the things that he was doing with his church members. There's also another very big check mark that comes with okay. uh, after Susan's death. Yeah, he basically changes the kind of like the foundational beliefs of the church. So okay, uh, yeah, it's obviously this is just if you were building a house, you have you have the you have the house almost complete here. Now you just gotta. Get to part two where someone throws a Molotov cocktail inside said house. <laughs> oh, know. yeah, definitely. Once the house is almost done, the carpenter shows up drunk and definitely fucks something up right towards the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so from the start of them starting this up until whatever you said, the mid 70s. How long of a span has it been? Like 10 years? Less it has than 10 been years? about a decade. OK, yes. From the time that they got married and kind of like started their ministry until they moved to Arkansas, it was 10 years. And imagine how much like wealth they had built up in that amount of time. I mean, if they basically bought the whole town, including the businesses, 29 of them, got to have a lot of money. It is Arkansas, though. They probably got it for almost none. <laughs> Very true. I mean, I, I wonder if they were able to buy like, um, franchises like mcdonald's i mean this place probably doesn't have mcdonald's no i don't know well you know i think arkansas is pretty much walmart started just a few years later so you know maybe it all turned into walmart who knows (laughs) into that walmart money they could have those uh the waltons have quite a bit of money um but uh phil i guess what i want to hear is if anybody okay if you're one of the hundred and sixty three thousand people in that Facebook group, go ahead and uh, contact us, send us a message, or if anybody's been to one of these church, this church or something, uh, and they want to contact us, where can they do that, Phil? Yeah, if they want to get a hold of us, they can hit us up on our subliminal D podcast at gmail.com. Uh, it's great to hear from everybody. Love all of the, you know, all the messages. Uh, also, probably an even easier way to get a hold of us. It's a blue deception podcast on IG. Uh, Cody and I really appreciate all the likes and shares. I have actually gotten back into posting actual story about the episode. So I'm going to try to keep doing that week after week. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is ST Podville. Cody, you have one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody's Above. Uh, give me a follow in there. I don't check it a lot, but if you're sending me a message, I'll try to get back to you within a few days. Um, the last thing we need ask you guys to do is to Log on iTunes, leave a show a five-star review. Preferably written, doesn't really matter what you say, just five stars. I love you guys. Hit submit. We greatly appreciate everyone who's taking the time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. All you got to do is hit the five stars, hit submit, and that's all you got to do. You don't have to type a goddamn thing. Um, and we greatly appreciate everyone who's taking the time to do that for us as well. Well, Phil, I am... Uh, anticipating episode two i think that's gonna get really nasty uh as you've alluded to so i cannot wait for that you know i love a good cult so i appreciate the beautiful episode you laid out for us today and we'll see you guys next week for the conclusion thanks guys